Spoken biotech and medtech interviews with Encode Ideas. My name is Hogan Malali. I'm a partner at Encode. We've been on a fairly extended hiatus from the podcast, and candidly, it's due almost entirely to market conditions. We did have plans for uh, a podcast or two in January, but I don't think I need to tell our audience how catastrophically bad the life science markets were in January. So the timing just didn't seem right to go ahead with those particular interviews. However, we do see some stability here now in February, crossing our fingers, and we think the timing is appropriate to kick off our 2022 podcast series. And I'm actually really excited to be talking to this particular company and portfolio manager because, ironically enough, it is a company that weathered the difficult start to 2022 quite well and actually was able to consummate a sizable financing. And the company is Perimeter Medical. Uh, Perimeter Medical is a uh, medical technology company with a ultra high resolution, real-time imaging technology that is currently focused on breast conservation surgery, uh, lumpectomy. And in January, they closed a almost $50 million Canadian financing led by a $43 million lead order from Social Capital. So I'm really excited today to have the CEO of Perimeter Medical, Jeremy Sabota, joining me, as well as healthcare portfolio manager at Social Capital, Grant Hesser. From a disclosure perspective, I would highlight that the partners at Encode Ideas do own equity in Perimeter Medical. We were compensated to write research for the company in 2020, but have not received any compensation subsequent to 2020. I would also highlight that this podcast does not contain financial advice. It is for entertainment purposes only. Please do not consider comments made in the podcast as an offer or inducement to buy or sell any securities. And with that, let's turn to my interview with Grant Hesser of Social Capital and Jeremy Sabota of Perimeter Medical. I would like to welcome Jeremy Sabota, Perimeter CEO, and Grant Hesser, Portfolio Manager at Social Capital, to the podcast. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Hogan. Happy to be here. So to start, why don't we have Jeremy give us a high-level introduction to Perimeter Medical, and then maybe, Grant, if you could follow that up with a quick introduction of yourself, and then maybe a minute or two on Social Capital and what you guys look for when it comes to healthcare investing. That sounds great. So Perimeter Medical Imaging AI is an early stage medical device company. We're driven to transform cancer surgery. The unmet need that we're addressing is called intraoperative margin assessment. And in a solid cancer surgery, what that means is the surgeon removes the tumor from the patient and the standard of care would require that they have a barrier of cancer-free tissue around the outside of that specimen, the perimeter of the specimen. If uh, they do not achieve that cancer-free barrier, patients need to come back for costly and complicated additional operations. And what Perimeter's technology does is brings the imaging information 
into the OR so that the surgeon can see that in real time. We're at commercial stage with our flagship technology, the Perimeter S-Series OCT, announced our first commercial installation in late 2021. And we're at clinical validation on the next generation of that technology, which includes uh, our image assist artificial intelligence software that will help surgeons interpret those images in the case of breast cancer. And then as we think beyond those initial applications, we have a very exciting $3.7 billion total addressable market across all solid cancer types and across the continuum of care and cancer surgery. So very exciting opportunities in front of us. I'm Grant Hester, uh, a PM at Social Capital. Uh, I've been at Social for a little over a year at this point where I primarily focus on, on public market healthcare investing. Prior to joining the firm, I spent six years or so as a sell-side equity research analyst, first covering uh, large-cap biotech and then ultimately managed care hospitals and some other uh, healthcare services businesses as well. So covering these kinds of companies on the sell side and everything that that sort of entails is where I got my grounding in the sector. Um, you know, as it relates to social capital, you know, look, our, our mission is to partner with entrepreneurs to build, you know, technically difficult, useful additive products towards, you know, a better world uh, across areas like climate science, healthcare, financial services, uh, things that even the starting line for people. So in, in the context of perimeter, it's to create a better healthcare system. You know, we've taken a pretty diverse approach to tackling this problem. Um, for example, we, we recently launched a number of SPACs that are sp uh, specifically focused on biotechnology and, and closed deals with companies uh, taking new approaches to big problems like cognitive health and disease treatment and prevention. Um, spending a minute maybe on, on how we think about uh, the healthcare investing landscape more broadly. Uh, look, I personally think that no other sector in the economy today needs more uh, technology-driven disruption than, than healthcare over the next few decades. And that encompasses everything from payment model reform to AI ML integration to bringing therapeutics to market that meaningfully bend the cost curve. You know, healthcare spending is 20% of U.S. GDP and has been plagued by the sort of you know, unwavering level of inflation over the past few decades. Now, look, some of that is demographics, right? So 10,000 people a day are turning 65 and aging into Medicare from the baby boomer generation. But, you know, clearly more innovation is needed if we're going to rein in spending. And so whether it's investing in companies geared towards, you know, delivering value-based care as we transition away from, you know, a legacy fee-for-service payment system uh, medtech businesses that lower costs and improve patient outcomes like Perimeter or, or new biotechnology businesses that are developing, you know, truly novel compounds that are addressing areas of high unmet medical need. You know, we're interested in all of it. And, and Shamath and the firm are willing to back businesses that we believe in for, uh, frankly, as long as it takes. Thank you both for those introductions and and maybe Grant, I think that was you know a great introduction to social capital and also what you look for in healthcare. And so let's start off, Grant, by talking about this this substantial investment that uh, social has made in perimeter. What was the motivation from uh, social's perspective to step up and fund perimeter? Sure. Yeah, look, when we when we first started looking at perimeter, what stuck out to us was both the clear near-term opportunity as it relates to, lowering lumpectomy re-excision rates today, 
But even more importantly, what this company could become over time if we're able able to uh, broaden OCT and its AI platform into other tumor types as well. But let's unpack lumpectomy a bit first, right? So, you know, it's estimated that something like 190,000 women will undergo a lumpectomy procedure in the U.S. this year, where, you know, 25% of those procedures will have to be redone. You know, in other words, one one in four of those women will have to go through a second or sometimes even third surgery because the cancer wasn't completely completely removed the first time. Um, you know, that, that's nearly 50,000 re-excision procedures that by definition could have been avoided. And at roughly, you know, call it $16,000 a procedure, it's pretty clear uh, to us why high re-excision rates are sort of this lose, 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 call it, for, for patients, payers, and, and providers. Um, you know, particularly for these women, uh, when, when you hear them discuss the added pain, you know, pain and, and anguish that's brought on from having to do um, an additional unnecessary surgery, it, it just became clear as day to us why we needed to do something about this and, and help Perimeter, uh, you know, scale the platform. Um, you know, next, what got us excited about Perimeter was OCT's uh, potential applica- you know, applicability beyond just breast cancer. Right, high re-excision rates uh, exist in a number of uh, other tumor types as well. So, over time, uh, you'll hopefully see us go after a number of these opportunities with total addressable markets that are even larger than breast cancer is today. On the AI front, you know, image assist once approved could be a real game changer. Now, look, we've obviously started running the pivotal trial, so we don't want to say too much, but. Look, clearly the technology could help meaningfully improve surgeons' ability uh, to, to further lower re-excision rates and could definitely help uh, improve, you know, perimeters' commercial go-to-market. So we'll, we'll stay tuned there. And then just lastly, you know, getting to know the perimeter team and the bench of just really strong, seasoned uh, med tech executives uh, here gave us a lot of confidence in this company's ability to execute. Jeremy, in particular, you know, as a former striker and Smith and Nephew executive, really impressed us. And, and with his background in M&A as well, uh, I think gives us some really interesting optionality over time to grow this business on a number of fronts. Uh, so I'll leave it there. When I was preparing for this interview, I was I was sort of going through your annual letters. And, you know, I can certainly see the fit for social capital as it pertains to the the B series uh, OCT technology from Perimeter, given its sort of AI component, but we, you know, Perimeter is kind of unique because it also has this FDA cleared S series technology, which, although it doesn't have the image assist AI, you know, it was still, you know, commercially available today. So I'm sort of curious in your investment process when when you were going through it, you know, looking at Perimeter, how much weight did you put on that first gen technology that currently sure. FDA cleared early commercial launch S series relative to the sort of blue sky, you know, home run potential B series. Yeah, sure. So, so look, the S series is very important to our investment thesis, and we think Perimeter can build a really great business with that as its backbone alone. Now, of course, the S series probably requires a bit more. Uh, call it commercial elbow grease, uh, especially as we have to spend more time on, you know, the surgeon education component, for example. But at the end of the day, 
you know, if we can derive a step function lower re-excision rate for surgeons and hospitals with the S-series, um, there's a ton of value there on, on a standalone basis. And then on image assist in the B-series, look, it's obviously important to develop software and tools that makes it, you know, even easier for surgeons to use OCT with more confidence. And when you speak with physicians who've used the technology, the feedback is extremely positive. But again, let's take it one day at a time, you know, finish the clinical trial and get the data and, and go from there. Right. So I think you've almost answered maybe my next question, which is, as it pertains to the S-series, do you think Perimeter as a standalone with just the S-series can be a success? Yes, absolutely. Look, it's, it's a device that can still reduce re-excision rates by at least half. So there's definitely a place for that kind of product, regardless of image assist. Yeah, and thanks for that um, that overview there, Grant. But I, I would also layer on from a regulatory strategy perspective. Uh, you know, we very intentionally have a general tissue clearance on the S series. So, uh, you know, this is cleared by the FDA under 510K for evaluation of any human tissue microstructure. And it's when we get into these tissue specific applications like are required by image assist and the, you know, machine learning algorithm, that's when we can unlock additional value streams from each tissue type. So I think, you know, ongoing, you know, there will always be a demand from the marketplace for the S series without image interpretation software. Uh, and then, you know, there will continue to be a regulatory pathway that we drive tissue specific indications with our AI. So, you know, both can, they're, they're not mutually exclusive, I guess I'd say. And I think that's a that's a great point. Obviously, the B series with the image assist is earmarked for a breast cancer label, but the S series does have that sort of more open-ended, as you say, sort of non-tissue specific application so that physicians and surgeons can be more experimental, I suppose you could see, say with the S series. Precisely. Maybe, maybe Jeremy, building on that, like what, when we think of the competitive landscape for your OCT technologies, what are you displacing? What are you replacing? Can you just you know lay out the competitive landscape that you're you're currently uh, facing both with the with the S series and maybe the B series? Certainly, yeah, I would say we are truly a novel technology, and we really, you know, in the truest sense of the word, do not have competition out there. What I would say, you know, particularly in the space of breast lumpectomies, we have, you know, substitutes that are suboptimal for a number of reasons. So, uh, you know, there may be surgeons, you know, specimen radiography is pretty widely used, which uh, is a situation where the surgeon x-rays the specimen. They're typically doing that to ensure that they have not removed, or that they have removed all of the, uh, you know, foreign objects that they put into the patient for navigation purposes. Uh, so it's a retained foreign ob object liability reduction tool. But one of the body's responses is it creates, you know, kind of calcium deposits or microcalcifications. And so some surgeons will use that as a proxy for margins. Unfortunately, you're looking at the symptoms of the disease instead of the disease itself, like perimeters technology can show you. Uh, then at the other end of the spectrum, you have, uh, you know, a small percentage of institutions will try to bring the pathology process into the operating room. 
very challenging with you know most of these large organ cancer surgeries because you have fatty tissue that's difficult to freeze you're destructive to the tissue in the or you require specialized resources like a pathology lab close to the or and a pathologist to interpret the images so you go from specimen radiography being low cost low resolution on one end to frozen section pathology being high cost, high resolution on the other end. And, you know, in the middle, perimeters technology can give you that microscopic level resolution at a cost effective price point, uh, you know, one that makes economic sense for the large academic institutions and the community hospitals. Uh, so what we like to say is, you know, effectively, we are democratizing the kind of outcomes that patients could expect in, you know, a Mayo Clinic or a Memorial Sloan Kettering, for example, throughout all of the, uh, you know, providers, whether it be a general surgeon that's operating in a community hospital or a, you know, breast specific surgeon that's in a large academic institution. Oh, terrific. Thanks. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, so, Grant, turning back to a comment you made uh, in your um, one of your earlier comments on your investment process with regards to perimeter, you mentioned speaking to surgeons. So I, I'm curious, you know, how those conversations went. Obviously, you made a substantial investment in perimeter. So I think we can maybe assume that those conversations went well. But you know, I'm kind of wondering, did you get a sense when when talking to surgeons that the, you know, reoperation rate as it pertains to lumpectomy is as big a, as big a problem as as sort of portrayed, you know, by perimeter? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so look, first on the reexcision rate, I think the I think the rate varies a lot from facility to facility and even from OR to OR. Um, as you can imagine, you know, the most advanced can cancer centers out there have access to more of the leading edge technologies uh, like frozen section and have generally lower rates and uh, call it the, the single digits. Um, but then you can hear about reexcision rates well into the 50% uh, in certain community hospital settings. So the rate varies a lot, but there's a lot of literature that really backs up that, you know, on average, it's somewhere between 20 and 25%. You know, on the physician feedback point, you know, doctors are really excited about the S-series uh, as well as image assist. And maybe what I thought I would do is, is just share a few quotes from my conversations that have really stuck with me uh, through, through our diligence process. So I'll just share a few of those now. And the first one being, look, Perimeters OCT provides a democratization of skill that makes us all better surgeons. Um, the second one being, you know, most in most institutions don't have frozen section or the skill slash personnel. So this cost-effective alternative has a lot of potential. This third quote really sticks with me, which is patient outcomes and, and feedback matter now more than ever. And this technology would allow everyone to get Mayo level results, uh, though Mayo is using frozen section. And then lastly, you know, this is the holy grail of breast cancer surgery. So you know, a lot of pretty striking quotes that, that you know, we picked up through our diligence process. Um, I'd also highlight that, that during uh, our diligence, we also spoke with hospital purchasing managers at major healthcare systems who specifically called out intraoperative margin assessment technologies as a key area of spending interest over the coming years as well, especially as, you know, we, we hopefully exit the COVID pandemic. So, 
the feedback all around was was very very positive. Um, uh, to you know, quickly answer the question. Following up on a, maybe a comment that that uh, Jeremy had made earlier about the S series and its ability to be maybe used outside of because it's got a general tissue uh, label. Did you get a sense from some of the surgeons you spoke with about uh, sort of excitement around experimenting with uh, perimeters OCT technology outside of breast surgery? Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, it's obviously early days there, but the general tissue tissue uh, optionality, frankly, is going to be an important part of where perimeter goes next in terms of the technology. But I don't know, Jeremy, how do you, do you want to add anything to that in terms of letting the data and the feedback from physicians really drive how we think about, you know, what's up next? Yeah, certainly. Thanks, Grant. I'd say this has been some of the most exciting output from you know our later clinical work and our early commercial work uh, and you know speaking to surgeons specifically uh, you know those general surgeons that are doing breast lumpectomies they all they're pretty quickly saying this is great i don't only want to use it on my breast patients i want to use it on whatever you know insert other oncology application uh, there, you know, pancreas seems to be popping up pretty regularly. Kidney, you know, head and neck are pretty exciting areas for us. And uh, you know, the 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 beautiful thing about that is our organization has been very focused on getting the uh, you know the B series breast specific indication out there, and that focus has been very beneficial for us as we build this foundation and you know make sure we do this one thing right. But now we get you know, a commercial way to achieve market feedback as we start reallocating some of those resources into thinking about what's next for image assist. Uh, and then I would just also kind of chime in that it's not only breast surgeons that uh, express that excitement or not only surgeons that express that excitement when they see and get to play with the technology, uh, you know, pathology and you know, we're very close with pathologists. I would consider them kind of a secondary champion of our technology in the institution uh, and radiologists as well. So we're very excited about uh, expanding this both, you know, what I call horizontally into other tissue types, but also kind of across the surgical continuum of care, whether that be in the biopsy space or in the pathology space as well. And, and the, you know, the, the feedback and the opportunities from our customers has been, there's been no shortage of, of uh, ideas on ways to uh, use this technology to add value in other parts. Thank you both. I mean, I think that's, you know, I guess what I'm trying to drive at, and I think you both hit the nail on the head is that, you know, there's obviously platform potential here with perimeters, uh, OCT technology. So maybe Jeremy, let's transition to the B series. And, you know, this is an area that I think is going to be an area of great clinical intrigue for investors in uh, 2022. So you've got FDA uh, IDE approval, and you're currently running a pivotal study with the B series. So, can you maybe elaborate on you know this this study um, timelines to data and what investors should be looking for as far as endpoints and how we determine success in this current pivotal study? Certainly, Hogan. Thanks. Yeah, that was a big a big part of the momentum we started building at the end of 2021. So announced our first site up and rolling, enrolling patients. We've been expanding uh, the number of sites up and running. And the overall 
study as a whole is uh, 309 patients. And what we are, you know, the primary endpoint for us is the number of patients with unaddressed positive margin. So, you know, the thing I would say there is what we're trying to do is kind of take it one step further. So, you know, there is a little bit of an art in deciding uh, clinical judgment on who comes back for a reoperation and who doesn't. So what we are saying is we want to prove that we can show the surgeon everything they need to understand those margins on a per margin basis, uh, which is really exciting because, you know, we kind of take it to the very root cause and, and base case of uh, giving them the information they need to make their clinical decision. And to power the study, we've taken some, you know, from my perspective, pretty conservative uh, views on uh, incidents of standard of care positive margins and the ability of the you know technology, perimeters technology to reduce those reoperation rates and identify those positive margins. So you know we're we're pretty confident that uh, we'll be able to achieve those endpoints. And you know what we would be considering success is a reduction in patients that had an unaddressed positive margin by fifty percent. Uh, so, you know, that's enough to power the study, enough to meet our endpoints, and we think, uh, you know, that along with the secondary analysis around uh, cosmesis, patient perception on performance of the, of the procedure, and, you know, some additional analysis on, you know, volume of tissue removed and some of those things to, to drive that improved specificity from the surgeons, we, you know, we're, we're pretty excited that it would be sufficient to support a marketing application at the end of the study. And from a timeline perspective, you know, we would expect to have all of those patients enrolled throughout 2022 and have that marketing application submitted by the end of the year. Uh, and at today's thinking uh, is that it will most likely be a de novo application submitted to the FDA. Thanks, Jeremy. That's great. And then I guess I'm I'm curious about Grant and Social's take on this pivotal study. You know, when I think of social capital, I don't necessarily think about a company or a fund that that invests in clinical trial readouts. You know, this this seems like it might be a bit of a unique type of investment, given the you know the sort of clinical intrigue that's going to come out of the B series IDE study. You know, how do you guys think about this pivotal study and and probability of success? Sure, sure. You know, look, if, if you're looking to really be disruptive in healthcare, uh, a big part of that is building companies and, and products and solutions that use technology to better prevent, treat, and, you know, in some cases, cure the diseases we're talking about. Uh, and frankly, no biotech or medtech company is going to be very successful at doing that without strong clinical data. So it certainly comes with the territory, and I think we've demonstrated the desire to get in on the ground floor or close to it with some of these companies because that's what it takes uh, to make a real difference. For example, one of our SPACs just announced with uh, a merger with ProKidney, which is making big strides in chronic kidney disease, and the bulk of our funds raised will go towards their clinical programs. So when it comes down to it, you know, we're in the bit, you know, in the business of making big bets, whether it's tackling existential problems like climate change or scaling a small OCT company into a med tech powerhouse. We're excited about Perimeter's Catalyst Path from here. 
And the AI trial is obviously an important part of that. Uh, in any case, we do our homework and the diligence around it. So we, we can confidently underwrite this investment. And in this case, we feel really good about perimeters path ahead. To me, this is a, a huge part of the story here in 2022. So I'm really excited about watching, you know, these data uh, come out. I know Jeremy and I have spoken a few times, and he knows my bias as to how much potential upside I think there is in success in this in this study. So I do think that's a, a really exciting part of the story coming up here in 2022. Yeah, Hogan, and, and I just, you know, maybe it's helpful for the listeners to hear a little bit about uh, some of the initiatives we've put in place to try to de-risk those results, uh, as you mentioned. And, uh, you know, I think if you look at the overall, you know, effectively, this is the the pivotal study is the output or the, the final step in what we've called our Atlas AI project. And, uh, you know, the steps prior to embarking on the pivotal study have all been done with de-risking the results in mind. Uh, so, you know, the collection of additional data, that was part one, uh, which we finished up in 2021. You know, the output of that was effectively the developed algorithm. And we were thrilled uh, with the results of the standalone algorithm performance. So it exceeded our internal benchmarks, uh, which really set us up for success. And then in between uh, finalizing development of the algorithm and embarking on the actual pivotal study, we've been engaged in reader studies uh, throughout with the surgeons that will be participating in the pivotal study. So effectively, you can think of this as an offline read uh, to kind of test and evaluate their performance prior to going into live patients and live data. And again, the grand mean has exceeded our expectations. You know, we've we've been thrilled with surgeon performance there to give us a lot of confidence prior to them enrolling live patients. And then, uh, you know, as you you and Grant both alluded to earlier on the what we call the commercial elbow grease around the S series. You know, surgeon education and investigator education has been a huge initiative for us throughout 2021. And, you know, we're, we're very, very pleased with the level of talent we have out there from a clinical education perspective. We have what we call image training specialists out there in the field, helping to onboard these new surgeons, helping them through their role in patients as they're getting up and running in the study. Uh, and then, you know, in training and education folks that have been developing a significant amount of content to make sure that they're hitting the ground running when they do. So, uh, you know, a lot of work has been done to really arm our investigators with the most material uh, possible to help them be successful with the technology. And I, and I think we, we probably should also mention the breakthrough device designation, Jeremy and Grant. I mean, that's I don't know how much Grant that weighed in on your you know investment uh, thinking, and and maybe Jeremy, you can briefly uh, elaborate on the importance of it as far as your IDE study and your interactions with FDA. Definitely, that was a huge milestone for Perimeter and for the technology. Uh, and back to the timelines I just went over, so that came out of exiting our initial part of the Atlas AI project, the data collection study. Uh, so yet again, another indication of the algorithm's potential and standalone performance. And you know, it's significant for us for a few different reasons. Uh, you know, one effectively uh, it is an acknowledgement by the FDA that we have 
an innovative way, a new and uh, an innovative way for solving a major problem in healthcare. Uh, similar to what I was saying earlier, there really is no competition for us, and you know, breakthrough de device designation is just another indicator that that it is completely novel, uh, addressing an unmet need. And what that does from a regulatory front is, you know, helps to uh, prioritize our review by the FDA. So uh, you effectively uh, have kind of a fast track to getting your documentation and interactions prioritized, but also it enables uh, a path to have increased interactions with the agency, uh, which is particularly great as we're going through, uh, you know, a novel technology like this. So they have what's called a breakthrough sprint strategy, where you can take a topic uh, that is important for the regulatory pathway, bring it to the agency, and get some real feedback from them in real time, so that as you're uh, you know, kind of making key development and design decisions across the regulatory pathway, you have some input from the FDA. And, you know, for us, that looks like, uh, it, you know, some of the things we've already talked about around the protocol and its ability to, to uh, support a marketing application. As we think about machine learning and our quality management system, uh, you know, how do we enable getting that to market, you know, safely and effectively for patients as quickly as possible, but also enabling, uh, you know, increased updates and, and efficacy of that image assist software as we continue to collect more data post-market. Uh, so a lot of really exciting things there. And then lastly, I just, uh, you know, mention the, you know, the interaction between, you know, the FDA and some of the, you know, payer uh, environments out there like CMS and some of the initiatives that are pending legislation at the moment, like the Medicare coverage of innovative technology. What a uh, what an exciting uh, initiative tailwind for Perimeter uh, should the you know should that be enacted and, and go into effect. Effectively, it gives you uh, you know CMS immediate CMS coverage as soon as the FDA clears your device for market. So you know this is uh, interagency cooperation. Uh, between, you know, the regulator ensuring safety and efficacy, but also, uh, you know, ensuring that the Medicare, Medicaid population out there can get access to that technology. Uh, and, you know, it's been one of the barriers for providers adopting new technology. So we're, we're really looking forward to, uh, you know, that being uh, enacted and finalized, and it would certainly be a tailwind for perimeter. Well, that kind of segues nicely maybe into uh, my next question, which was with regards to reimbursement, you know, and uh, and Grant, you know, in, in your previous life, pre-social, as you mentioned, you were on the sell side and and had done some work in, in managed care. So I'm, I think reimbursement for a lot of us is somewhat of an opaque world. And, you know, I'm curious how you, given your, you know, sort of expertise in this area, looked at reimbursement as it re relates to Perimeter yeah. and its OCT technology? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So look, the instrument has, you know, a category three code, and it's going to provide us with a lot of useful, uh, call it tracking data through 2022, that you know, obviously as we, we commence, you know, the commercial rollout of the product. And so we'll eventually be able to go to commercial payers um, with this data to drive uh, hopefully favorable reimbursement decisions. But also remember that as a part of the Pivotal Atlas trial, we're also running 
you know, a, a healthcare economic study as well that we think uh, can deliver some really important data about the cost savings gener- uh, generated by the B series as well. You know, look at the end of the day, commercial payers like United and Anthem uh, are looking for value, and and we think that both the S series and B uh, B series can generate uh, meaningful cost savings uh, when, when just one unnecessary reexcision procedure costs you know roughly sixteen thousand dollars. Then then we'll obviously uh, look to share our views with CMS as well as it relates to Medicare and Medicaid coverage. So so, so more to come there. Uh, maybe t- uh, taking a step back too. We also think perimeters technology plays uh, really well in the broader bundled payment and value-based care reforms as well. So, you know, there's obviously an increasing focus on on paying for value over volume of service in in our healthcare system. So, uh, we think perimeters is really well situated between those themes as well. So, how do you both think of Perimeters OCT technology X US. Obviously, I think when it comes to everything healthcare, the US market is where we all uh, like to focus. But I'm I'm curious, uh, you know, uh, both Jeremy and Grant, how much time and effort and thought has been put into both the S series and B series and X US development and opportunity. Sure, sure. Maybe I'll jump in, Jeremy, and then you can take it. Um, Perfect. You know, look, XUS, uh, we think, is a, a, a really interesting opportunity. Specific geographies like the United Kingdom that has a, a public registry for, for re-excision rates um, by, by provider is really interesting in terms of our ability to, to go into a geography like that and be very selective in our targeting of, of providers that you know, high, have high re-excision rates uh, to drive those lower. So, um, you know, look... Here and now, we're obviously focused on executing, uh, you know, commercially in the U.S., but, you know, lumpectomy re-excision rates are not a U.S. problem, right? It's, it's, it's a global problem. And so uh, you'll see us over time as, as the commercial, uh, you know, function really gets up and running, um, us try to go out and take advantage of those opportunities. I don't know, Jeremy, if you, if you had more to add there. Uh, no, I think you hit the nail on the head, Grant. I would say, uh, as somebody who has lived and worked in uh, Europe and, and Africa and had a number of my colleagues uh, complain to me about how U.S.-centric companies you know, create their organization structures as U.S. and OUS, it pains me a little bit to talk about this as uh, the entire rest of the world market as, uh, as ex-U.S., just... Uh, but that that being said, uh, you're you're exactly right. There is uh, a lot of opportunity there, and they, you know, particularly what I'd say are you know your more classic med tech markets. Some of those that you highlighted, Grant, uh, have very similar you know reoperation profiles. Uh, actually, frankly, I think the single payer environment makes this a much more straightforward uh, implementation. Uh, you know, or desire, you know, makes it much more desirable because effectively you have the same bottom line that you're, that you're working with there. So that's, uh, you know, pretty exciting for us. And, you know, there, the last thing I'd say is in some of the developing economies, you know, we really have an opportunity to kind of ride the wave of a paradigm shift. So, you know, for example, uh, in the U.S., uh, only about two thirds of women elect to have uh, breast conserving surgeries. Now, there's a lot of 
you know, survivorship being more or less equal based on the data, uh, there's a lot of benefits to having breast conserving surgery around cosmesis and sensation and, you know, quality of survivorship. But in a lot of the developing economies, that number is much, much smaller. Uh, you know, far more radical mastectomies are performed. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that perimeters technology can be kind of a catalyst to drive more of that adoption of uh, you know, what is becoming more, more and more standard of care in the developed world than breast conserving surgeries instead of those mastectomies. Thanks. That, that's, uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to, in our healthcare investing sort of mindset, we tend to define everything as uh, U.S. and ex-U.S., but I do appreciate <laughs> there's more nuance there than perhaps I'm uh, stating. It's just my capital markets brain always uh, sort of working a certain way. And speaking of capital markets, um, you know, let's transition to maybe a, a few questions as, a, as it pertains to the stock itself. So right now, Jeremy, you are TSX Venture listed, and you're on the the OTC exchange in the United States. And this this also pertains to Grant. You know, like how important is it for you to get to a senior U.S. exchange in the in the near future? I'm curious, both from a company perspective and also Grant from a, the perspective of social. How how big a priority is that uh, for both of you? Grant, you want to take that one first? Yeah, sure. You know, look, it's it's definitely a priority for us. Um, you, you know, look, I think we want to make sure that, you know, we're executing from a commercial standpoint before we, you know, really try to bring the story to U.S. markets in a, in, in, in a real way. Um, so I think there's some, some more wood to chop on that point. But look, it's definitely a part of our roadmap. You know, frankly, uh, one of the elements of our investment thesis in Perimeter is there's a bit of a, a sort of a Canada to U.S. arbitrage to, to, to take advantage of here, right? Like there are very real, exciting Canadian companies that are um, sort of at the cutting edge of innovation in terms of, of, of medical technology. And, you know, U.S. investors, frankly, are, are often overlooking these opportunities only because you know, they're, they're Canadian domiciled. And so, um, you know, when the time is right and, and, and Jeremy can talk a little bit more about what those conditions look like, um, we'll, we'll definitely look to bring perimeter to, to the U.S. in, in uh, a pretty material way. Great. Yeah. And I, I would just uh, echo everything you said and say that this is where the, you know, the Toronto Venture Exchange has been uh, a phenomenal partner for us in, you know, helping us get to public and, you know, get public in an efficient manner. Uh, obviously, it created access to capital, like the social capital private placement. And, you know, we, we do uh, have squarely in our strategic initiatives, uh, upgrading to or uplisting to a senior exchange. And I think everything that Grant talked about is important for us on, you know, knowing when that is right. So we we want to, we just commercialized at the end of 2021. We're in the thick of our clinical study now, and we want to have some, you know, fundamental operational quarters behind us before doing that uh, so that we don't get up there, be an orphan and, and not have, uh, you know, the right kind of things to be talking about when we're up there. But, uh, you know, to this, at this point, We've satisfied what I'll call our, you know, almost all of the administrative tasks to enabling that. And now it's just a matter of, uh, you know, executing operationally and making that, um, you know, making that the right move at the right time. 
Well, Jeremy, it must be music to your ears, though, to hear that your lead investor wants you to be prudent and patient in pushing towards the U.S. market. I think that's such a nice luxury to have something like Social, who's saying, you know, look, when the time's right, you'll go, but we're not pushing you and pressuring you to get there too soon. And Grant, as a Canadian, I've lived and breathed the Canadian discount for a long time, and I, I completely agree. It, it exists and is a ongoing phenomena, and I concur that sometimes there are fantastic technologies and, frankly, bargains north of the border. So I, I commend you guys for stepping up here on Perimeter and, and seeing this as an opportunity. So maybe just to wrap things up, Jeremy, here we are, beginning of 2022, you've got potentially very exciting cadence of, of news events throughout the year. So maybe maybe you can walk investors through what we should be expecting and looking for for this year. We've talked about the IDE study, but maybe you can wrap things up and maybe also elaborate a little bit on on what we should be looking for from the S series as far as news events, whether it be new machine placements, new centers of excellence adopting, et cetera. So maybe walk us through what investors should be looking for for the rest of calendar 2022. Yeah, that you that's exactly right uh, on the S-Series specifically. Our number one priority is executing commercially here in the near term with the S-Series. And, you know, what I've uh, talked about around our go-to-market strategy is, you know, 2022 and the S-Series commercial customers are about building the foundation uh, and building the future thought leaders of that technology so that we have a network around the country of expert users so that when image assist and the B series is cleared, you know, we can effectively expand our immediate addressable market with that artificial intelligence. So having, uh, you know, not, it, it's less, I would point investors to think less about how many placements we're putting out there throughout the year and more about who is picking it up and using it. And, you know, our, our kind of primary profiles would be, you know, the centers of excellence that you alluded to that are kind of the reference bellwethers in, in breast cancer specifically, but also, you know, giving proof points of that democratization of technology that I talked about earlier. Uh, so if we have community hospitals that are using this technology to provide those patients with access to those kind of outcomes that, you know, otherwise they'd have to drive into the big city for, uh, you know, we're really excited about, excited about proving that and uh, also helping those surgeons build their practice with differentiating technology like this. Uh, so a lot, I would expect a lot of news around the S-Series. Uh, we have a busy, uh, you know, Congress and, and trade show season pretty early in the year. So there'll be some data presented by a number of our key opinion leaders at those conferences, not the least of which being, uh, you know, American Society of Breast Surgeons happening in Las Vegas in April. Uh, so really, really looking forward to making a big splash there. And then on the clinical study, continuing to enroll patients and providing updates as, as that comes and getting, you know, great feedback from those investigators with the artificial intelligence. But then lastly, I'd say, you know, one of the things uh, that excites me the most about having this strong balance sheet is the ability to accelerate that commercial activity uh, through the placement business model that, uh, you know, allow, you know, now we have the working capital to help drive that and, uh, uh, and the inventory to help drive that placement business model, which should shorten our sales cycle. 
but also really in earnest starting to uh, focus on what's next for the technology. Uh, so everything we talked about early on the call around, you know, if we have a general surgeon that says, I want to use this on my pancreas patients, you know, we can, you know, pretty quickly allocate development resources to uh, making that a reality. And uh, same thing on the rest of the workflow. You know, I think we've got some uh, early early work, feasibility work to be done, uh, you know, whether it's in biopsy or pathology to try to prove out some of the value we can create there and really expand, you know, not our TAM, but our immediate addressable TAM. So lots of exciting things for investors to look for uh, throughout the year. Thanks, Jeremy. And so Grant, you know, maybe to wrap things up, we kind of touched, I think, on a lot of the key points of the perimeter investment thesis, but are there things that we that, that you know we didn't cover off that you'd like to highlight, or is there anything you'd like to sort of say as far as summarizing your thoughts on on perimeter? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, maybe to talk a little bit more about you know accelerating the path to other clinical applications in the future. You know, so as I've mentioned, you know, high reexcision rates aren't just a lumpectomy problem, and so. You know, we think there's a real opportunity to, over time, go after other tissue types and other parts of the clinical workflow that, um, you know, will allow us to unlock uh, what we think is nearly a, a $4 billion total, total addressable market. Now, you know, we're going to let the data and physician feedback really drive where we go next. But, you know, the devices, again, general tissue clearance from the FDA really gives us a lot of optionality in that regard. But, you know, whether it's colorectal or prostate or bladder, or I think Jeremy mentioned uh, head and neck as well, or something else, uh, we're really excited about the opportunity to, to broaden OCT's applicability uh, beyond breast over time, but at the same time, trying to stay late, you know, laser focused on uh, executing in, in uh, lumpectomy and, and uh, helping patients. Terrific. Well, I want to thank you both for agreeing to come on the podcast and giving us such a great overview, both of the company perimeter and also social capital and its thinking around its investment uh, in perimeter. You know, as a perimeter shareholder, I am ecstatic to have social as the largest shareholder in perimeter. So I'm very excited about what the, the, the future holds here. You know, I want to thank you both for agreeing to be here and thanks again for your time. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us, Hogan. A few concluding comments after my interview with Perimeter Medical's Jeremy Sabota and Social Capital's Grant Hesser. I think there's a lot to like with Perimeter Medical. I don't think I hide my enthusiasm very well. And as I disclosed at the front end and during the interview, you know, we own the equity, we've written research on the company, you know, we like Perimeter Medical. And in fact, you know, I take it a step further, we like it more today with Social Capital's investment and their endorsement. So I think there's a lot, a lot to like here. A few things I would highlight that I think I learned a little more about today and perhaps are things that investors should also keep their eyes on. I thought that both Jeremy and Grant did a really good job talking about the S series and how it uh, will be uh, a tool for experimentation outside of breast. It's an FDA 510K cleared uh, product. It doesn't have a specific tissue type label. That's what the B series will have. It's it's because of the AI element, it's going to be exclusively focused on breast conservation sur surgery. 
but the but the, the S series is is open ended and. I think that's interesting. I, I mean, at first they're obviously going to focus on breast cancer, but you know, once one of these machines is installed inside a hospital, I can see other surgeons uh, wanting to experiment with it. So, I think that that's something we should be, you know, that could be a, a real interesting development uh, as as this uh, story evolves over the coming months and years. Is where does the S series go? after breast and we've heard from Jeremy and Grant you know other other tissue types that they think um, could play out you know as a investor in many uh, therapeutic names I'm obviously somewhat biased towards the um, clinical data readout that uh, we're going to see from the B-series IDE study I thought both Jeremy and Grant did a great job you know Jeremy laid out the the, the study design and the what we should be looking for for success in that study. Clearly, the social guys, Grant, have done their work on this and they feel very confident in a positive outcome. So, you know, I think that's the, you know, that is the opportunity for the most violent upside, in my opinion. It would be a successful uh, IDE pivotal study result for perimeter. And, and couple that with the breakthrough device designation, I think you've got um, a real exciting formula for uh, the future for Perimeter. So a lot of eyes, I think, should be focused on that um, uh, B-series uh, study outcome. But as as I know, as I asked Grant, um, you know, there is a business here with the S-series alone. So you know, lots to like uh, with Perimeter. Um, and I thought that both uh, Grant and uh, and Jeremy. Um, gave us lots of great information lots of great information to sort of digest i would also suggest that our research from october 2020 although dated now um, still the overall macro sort of viewpoint that we take there i think is still very relevant to perimeter today our timelines are a little off you know we refer to the OCT technology under its old name which is Otis but you know I'd recommend investors who are interested in perimeter to perhaps go and revisit uh, our research which I think is still relevant to the story today just a final thanks again to Jeremy and Grant for stepping up and being willing to come onto the podcast I, I really do appreciate their support and also, finally, to our audience, thank you for, for tuning in. Thank you for the feedback. We had lots of comments actually from people during our sort of hiatus as to where we were. And no, we weren't you know, hiding per se, but we were a little shell-shocked like a lot of people. And frankly, it was hard to get people's attention uh, on individual securities when the overall sky was falling, so to speak. But I think you'll see a regular cadence of podcasts from us going forward. So again, thank you to our audience. Thank you to Grant and Jeremy and look forward to speaking to you all soon again with our next interview.